Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm lead pastor here. Great to have all of you here today. There's a little bit more body heat going on than normal, so that's good. Good thing. And thank you for those of you who are joining us online. Uh, today, obviously, we are going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus, among other things. I do want to give a slight plug for next week. We are starting a new sermon series. I'm not going to tell you what the title is, I want you to go online and look on the, our YouTube page or on Facebook. It should be showing up sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours, all right? So check out the video so it will tell you what we're gonna be talking about next Sunday, all right? Almost all of you have access to a computer, and if you don't, you have access to a cell phone, and if you don't, you know someone who does. <laughs> so just check it out, and uh, that'll give you an, an indication of where we're going next. But today, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, but being led by the Holy Spirit to write these words, and here's what the Spirit said to the church to that, at that time and the church today. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are thankful, thankful for your word. Give us clarity in the way we think, the way we feel, uh, the way we embrace your truth. Lord, I know that, that not everyone in this room or everyone listening to uh, this sermon is necessarily a follower of Jesus. Uh, so would you work in them to bring them to faith? And would you work those of, in us who believe that we would really and truly embrace these truths in ways that will be transformative to the way we live our lives? So Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you today. In order to do that, fill us, empower us, give us what we need so for me as the preacher and for these folks as the listeners, that they and I, that we all would respond rightly to what it is you want us to hear and that we would rejoice in Jesus. 
And it's in his name and for his glory and along with you, Father and Holy Spirit, our one true God, we pray this. Amen. Have you ever noticed that it is so easy to neglect what is truly important? Take uh, Adolf Menzel, for instance. As far as I know, no relation to the Mizels. Menzel. He was a successful German artist in the 19th century, and one of his paintings is famous for a very strange reason. It's called Frederick the Great's Address to His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen. Seems like you could come up with a better title than that. But here's an image of that. And you'll notice that Menzel painted the background you see several generals standing around, but do you notice something missing? Frederick the Great is missing. The title of the, of the, of the art piece, of the piece of art, is Frederick, about Frederick the Great, and he's missing. That big white spot there is where he's supposed to be. Menzel never painted him. He gave lots of attention to all of the background, but the main figure, the main point of the painting, he never got around to. It's so easy to neglect what's most important. It's so easy to be distracted by so many things so that we overlook what is important or we forget what is important. I don't know anybody on their deathbed that says, I wish I had watched more Netflix. Or, I wish I had played more video games. Or, I wish I had watched more sports. Now, you don't hear that kind of speech coming from someone on their deathbed. Because when you're on your deathbed, somehow, in some way, things start to focus on what's really important to you. It's far too easy for most of us to lose sight of what's important. Even on a day like today, Easter Sunday, let's be honest, our attention can be more focused on our clothes, on a special dinner, baskets and eggs, chocolate bunnies. kind of understand that one. Then what's most important? But, I mean, don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad. Do not hear me say, especially chocolate bunnies. Chocolate bunnies are good. <laughs> but they're just not the most important things, right? On a day like today. And so today we're going to be talking about the most important things, or at least some of the most important things. So here we go. If you like outlines, here's one. Here's the first point. If you don't like outlines, you can just ignore the outline and listen. But here's the point. When it comes to Jesus, there are at least four beliefs that are of first importance. There are at least four beliefs when it comes to Jesus that are of first importance. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't others. There are others but these four that we're going to talk about today, they are vital. They are what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, of first importance. As he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
All right, so are you ready for the four? Yes. Thank you. Okay, good, good. You guys are still thinking about those chocolate bunnies, I know. So, first, Jesus died for sinners. That is of first importance, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now I realize that is a lot to unpack in just that one phrase, Christ died for our sins. We could spend a whole sermon series on just that one phrase. So today I just want to get to the very basics. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he did, he said that everything he created, including human beings, was very good. Now, there's a disconnect today, right? We read those words and we say, oh, that's great. But when we look around at the world today, there is a lot of not very good, right? Hatred. Lies, jealousy, arrogance, selfishness, greed, lust. And if we're really honest with ourselves, you know that kind of courageous honesty that you have with yourself where you can be brutally honest, look yourself in the face in the mirror and say, this is true about you, that kind of honesty... There's a lot of not very good in us, too. It's not just out there. It's in here. And that not very good is what the scriptures call sin. Sin is anything that deviates from the goodness God designed us to have. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We miss it. God designed us for a certain purpose, a certain way, and we miss it. That sin. And, and the truth is that all of us have sinned. There is no one who is exempt. There is no one who is the exception. There is no one who is immune to the sickness of sin. And the unfortunate reality of what happens when you have sin in your life is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. When we sin, death is inevitable. Imagine that there is a serial killer loose in Sumter. And you see him on the news and you know who he is. And then he shows up on your front door. And he knocks on your door. And he says, hi, my name is John. I'm a serial killer. Will you let me in? I doubt many of us would. But when we have sin in our lives, it's like saying, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Come on in. Because inevitably, what we're inviting into our lives is death. That's what sin always brings. Sin promises lots of things, but it always delivers death. Always. And I know that's not a, a great sounding message, but you need to know the bad news in order to really 
embrace the good news. And that's where the good news of Jesus comes in. Because Jesus died for our sins. That's what this passage says. And what does that mean? Well, there's a story about a man in France during the time of Napoleon. And supposedly, during that time, men were enlisted into the French army by a kind of lottery system. You know, you throw all the names in and you just pull a name out and, oh, well, John Smith, you're, I guess it should be Jean Smith, you should go into, you, you have to come into the army and fight, okay? And then, um, well, the authorities came to this man's house and they said, your name has been drawn, you have to join us in the army. And he said, well, I can't because I, I died two years ago. And they were like, huh? What? You died two years ago. What do you mean? Are you crazy? You're standing right there. He's like, no, really. Look at your military records. I died two years ago. And so they looked at the military records. And sure enough, this man that they had come to visit and say, you must be in the army, he really did, according to the records, die two years ago in battle. What had happened is he had a really good friend who when his name was picked out of the lottery the first time, his friend said, look, you've got a wife, you've got kids, I've got nobody, I'm going to take your name. I'm going to tell them I'm you. And I'll go to battle for you. And he died on the battlefield. And then on that list of people who had died, his name was right there. And so they didn't, the, the soldiers didn't know what to do with that, and so they, they asked Napoleon, and Napoleon basically said, we got nothing on him. Legally, he's free. That's a picture of what Christ has done for us by dying for our sins. That sin always leads to death, but Jesus died, and in his death, those of us who believe, we have died also to the penalty of sin. We've died to the slavery of sin. And one day, Jesus will take us all the way to where there will not even be the presence of sin in our lives. That's what it means when Jesus died for our sins. He took our place. And now the curse is reversed. The penalty of sin does not ultimately apply to you who believe. That is good news. And that's why Paul says this is of first importance. Believe this. Because it is vital. Christ died for our sins. He died for sinners. But there's a second point that Jesus says that, uh, sorry, that Paul says that is important, of, of first importance. And it's this Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. As we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Jesus not only died for our sins, but he was buried. Now, I know you might be going, huh? Okay, I get the dying, but being buried? What is that? Why does that have to be of first importance? Well, in order to illustrate this, I have to go to one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. 
You see, at one point in that movie, the main character, Wesley, has his life sucked out of him. Literally. He's dead. And his friends take him to Miracle Max, who they're hoping will produce a miracle in his life. And Miracle Max explains that Wesley is only mostly dead. Here's his quote. He says, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. But with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. You, you go through his clothes and you look for loose change. Miracle Max was not a great guy, okay? One of the reasons that Jesus' burial makes it into the of first importance list is because it confirms that Jesus wasn't mostly dead. He was all dead. As an aside, that's actually what is meant by the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. Because originally, that word, hell, it, it wasn't hell in the original language. Hell is Gehenna in the original language. Hades is the word that's actually written in the Apostles' Creed. And Hades is really just the realm of the dead, a place where dead people go when they die. It means that they really are dead. And so a, a man named Rufinus, who lived in the 300s, he said that what this means is that Jesus didn't literally go to hell, but that it was another way of saying he was buried and that he stayed that way for a time because he was really and truly dead. Obviously dead. Clinically dead. Undeniably dead. And he stayed under the power of death for a time. Look, Jesus didn't faint. He didn't fake his death. He didn't fall into a trance. He died. Literally. And he was wrapped in grave clothes and he was placed in a tomb. Now there's another reason why Jesus' burial is important, but that's going to have to wait until after we talk about the next point. Because this, this is the kicker. This is the really good part of today's message. What's of first importance is not only that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried, but that Jesus rose from the dead. As, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, can we be honest for a minute and just say how bizarre and outlandish that claim really is? I've been a pastor for quite some time, done lots of funerals, you know how many people I've seen rise from the dead? Zero. I know a lot of other pastors who have done lots of funerals. You know how many people they've seen rise from the dead? Zero. I know all of you fairly well, or at least some of you fairly well. I dare say that none of you have seen someone rise from the dead. 
So it is an outlandish kind of statement to say that someone actually rose from the dead. Uh, look, there are some religions out there that we think are weird, right? For example, um, Claude, I hope I say his name right, Forillon founded Raelism. Have you ever heard of this, Raelism? So Claude uh, was allegedly abducted by aliens, taken to a faraway planet, and he learned that the human race was an experiment that the aliens had uh, experimented on Earth with, and now the adherents of his religion, they believe in these aliens who will one day come back to Earth and you know, repopulate, I guess. And so now what you want to do, if you want to live with the aliens when they return, what you have to do is transmit your brain waves and your DNA to them so that they will clone you when they come back. Now, if you're thinking that's weird, that's what the rest of the world thinks when they hear that Jesus rose from the dead. Do you hear me? It is an outlandish claim, and yet it is a claim that Jesus said it was going to happen, that Paul says did happen, that the scriptures say did happen, and so we have to deal with this outlandish claim. As strange of a claim as it may be, it is vital to our faith. You cannot have the death of Jesus and the burial of Jesus and still have Christianity without the resurrection. In fact, you want to know a pet peeve of mine? I'm sorry I have to get on this. A pet peeve of mine is people who say, you know what the good news of Jesus is? And they say, Jesus died for your sins. Full stop. No talk of resurrection. No talk of how Jesus raised from the dead. There's, it, that's, it's, it's just Jesus died for your sins. That's all. That's it. That's all you need to believe. Look, you look in the book of Acts and tell me how many times that message is actually preached. It's not. You know what you find in the early preaching of the church? Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And that's where the emphasis is. They put all their emphasis on that because that's the point that makes all of Christianity, all of our beliefs valid or not. You hear me? Good. As Hank Hanengraff says in his book, Resurrection, the resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other religions. <clears throat> Through the resurrection, sorry, Christ demonstrated that he does not stand in a line of peers with Abraham, Buddha, or Confucius. He is utterly unique. He has the power not only to lay down his life, but to take it up again. That, that is why resurrection is of first importance. Without the resurrection, without Jesus being raised from the dead, our faith is worthless. It's worthless. 
We're wasting our time here this morning if Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead. We're wasting our time studying the scriptures and having life groups and having Bible studies. We're wasting our time praying to a God who maybe exists or maybe doesn't exist if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You see how important this is. And that's not just me saying it. It's in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he says something similar. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. This, of the first important things, this is the first of the first important things. You don't have the resurrection you don't have anything when it comes to Christianity. But there's a fourth thing. And it's one that gets left out. Whenever I hear preachers preach on this, I'm always amazed that they leave this one out. They say, oh, here are the things of first importance. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose from the dead. End of sermon. That's not what Paul says. He says those things, but then he goes on to a fourth one. He says, many people, many people were witnesses of the resurrection. He didn't just make this stuff up. He didn't just tell a good story. Look, I love a good story. I love movies and, and books and stories where someone, it appears that they died and, and then they come, they, they come back and you go, woohoo, that's exciting. Everybody loves that in a story, right? But this isn't a story. Paul says this is history. Because he says, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Same sentence that he, was, he died for your sins, he was buried, he rose from the dead. Same sentence. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Here's Paul's point. This isn't some story that makes us feel good. This is history. And there are people, in, in his day, there were people you could go to and you could say, hey, did you see Jesus raised from the dead? And they would say, absolutely. Changed my life. This is why so many Christians in the early church were willing to go to their death. Because they had seen a man who was dead be raised to life. That changes a person. Right? And this is what we say we believe, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And back to the burial, this is part of the point of the tomb, why the tomb is important, because it's important that any single person who heard about this, they could have gone to that tomb and they could have looked inside and seen whether Jesus' body was there or not. They could have done it. But they didn't. 
Because as Paul pointed out this morning, Jesus' body isn't there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And I love what uh, Breakpoint, they've done this quote from Charles Coulson. I love this quote because he says, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The witnesses of the resurrection are of first importance because without them, the rest of it just sounds like some made-up story someone made. But with them, it's history. And then... We have to deal with history, right? If this really happened, we have to deal with it rightly. And that's your action point for today. For all of us, respond rightly to Jesus. Look, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then we can't ignore that. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, we cannot make that some added on thing to our life as if we're having a burger and we're putting the condiment of mustard on it to make it taste a little better. That's not what the resurrection of Jesus is. The resurrection of Jesus is everything. If it really happened, we have to deal with it. As as Tim Keller says in his book, The Reason for God, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You know how many people say, well, yeah, Jesus was a really good teacher. He taught about loving people and not judging people, and that really sells in this culture. But what about a Jesus who died and rose from the dead? That doesn't sell very well in our society. But it's of vital importance, right? So for those of you who don't believe, how do you respond rightly to Jesus? Look, if if the scriptures are false and Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then you are right to make fun of us all you want. Because we are wasting our time, as I said earlier. We are messed up people. We are no different than that guy who made the religion about being abducted by aliens. We're no different than him if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, if what the scriptures say about Jesus is true, then you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to dive in. 
You owe it to yourself to see just how deep this truth goes. Think about guys like C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell and uh, Lee Strobel and Alistair McGrath. These, all these men were atheists or agnostics at one point in their lives. But the more they studied about Jesus, the more that they looked into Jesus, the more they started to believe. And eventually they became some of the, the most powerful persuaders of why Christian faith is true. We read their books now. For those of us who do believe, and I would say that's probably the majority in this room, let me ask you a question. Paul says these four things are of first importance. What is of first importance to you? What is of first importance to you? A saying that I have come to hate, but I think it's more true than I would like to admit, is that Christians are more known by what they are against than what they are for. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We should be known as people who believe Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that people actually did see him. And that changes our lives. And we live differently. And that is our focus. That is central to us. That bleeds out in everything that we do. That is of first importance. Not our politics, not our social status, not our comfort, our peace, our affluence, not our opinions. It is Jesus and what he has done for us. That, my brothers and sisters, is of first importance and it should, if it is of first importance to me and to you, it will show up in the way we live. It will. So, let's believe. Let's believe this good news. Let's believe this good news about Jesus and live out those beliefs every day. And I would like to take just a few minutes to pray for all of you that we will be able to do that. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are all kinds of different people in this room and even listening online. There are those who don't believe. Holy Spirit, would you work in their hearts and their minds that they would see your truth and see these things of first importance that Jesus really did die for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead and people actually saw him, that that would sink deep into their hearts and they would believe and trust in you. And for those of us who do believe, Lord, wherever we are, whether we are those who are backslidden and um, really moving away from the church, or those of us who are always here and always engaged, Lord, impress upon our mind and our hearts by your spirit that we really would believe these things and make them to be of first importance in our own lives because they are of first importance. 
and that everything else would come somewhere underneath these important points. And as I just said earlier, that it would bleed out into the way we live and that no one could say of Westminster, could say of us, that we are more known for what we're against than what we're for. But they would see that we really are for Jesus. You, Jesus, are more important than anything to us. Let that be so. In your name we pray this. Amen.